Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. You guys well? All right, well, we're going to dive in the Word before we celebrate chiefdom. The kingdom of the chiefs. got to go to the kingdom of the Lord first and then kingdom of the chiefs. Amen. All right. Well, um, just to start off, you ever been in a driving down the road and uh, a cop comes behind you with its lights on and you think you freak out and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm about to get pulled over. You get that? You ever get that feeling where the heart goes right here, you know, and you're like, oh man, I'm caught. What was I doing? What was I doing? Okay, and then you start going through. Okay, did I run the red light? Am I speeding? Go through the checklist, you know, like, is my blinker out? Like, what is going on? And then that car passes you and pulls over somebody else. You ever experience that? Oh my gosh, it's like the worst, man. Ruins your whole day. And, um, but it's like, thank goodness, Oh my gosh, thank goodness that cop passed me, didn't get me. Man, I'm free as a bird. Well, that's half of Paul's audience in starting chapter 2. Everybody felt that, or half the audience felt, man, Paul just really went for the jugular over the Gentiles, man. Uh, Paul, in the first chapter, we're going to pick up on chapter 2. So if you have a Bible in front of you, that's where we're going to pick up. Romans chapter 2. But in that first chapter, Paul gives this grand introduction. He's never been to Rome before. Uh, he had some friends there, but he hadn't been there yet. And so he was giving a, a long introduction. And then Paul says, man, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And then he goes right in. He dips right into creating this case. And we're going to kind of explore this case that Paul lays out today. Um, but he was pretty much going after the non-religious people in that first chapter. The people that were just living like the rest of the world, uh, following their lusts wherever it went, whether it be sexual, whether it be material, greed, lust, like envy, like all that stuff comes from a heart that's on an energy drink of lust. I mean, just wherever that goes. And all the religious people, all the Jewish religious people, we're kind of, up to that point, kind of standing back and saying, yeah, Paul, get him. Get him, Paul! Man, those reprobates. And it's a whole list. And then Paul turns his attention to the rest of the crowd. And that's what we're going to pick up in 2.1. Paul says, you may be saying, what terrible people have you been talking about? But, Paul says, you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you do the very same things. And we know that God in His justice will punish anyone who does such things. Do you think that God will judge and condemn others for doing them and not judge you when you do them too? Don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Don't you care? Can't you see how kind he's been in giving you time to turn from your sin? Again, Paul turns to the rest of the audience. It was the religious bunch, and he's going to call them out too. Now, the Jews might be thinking, 
to kind of summarize verse 1. And they're thinking, you know, we quite agree with your denunciation of these reprobates, but we all agree that our group is a little bit different. You know, we're the educated ones. We have the education. We have the law of God. We have the willpower to make things right and to do the virtuous things that all humanity wants to do. But Paul says, nope, you too have no excuse because even as you sit in judgment of these poor unenlightened souls you so despise, you secretly do the same things. The moral law, the moral law, God's moral law is kind of like what you, if you would imagine like a sheet of glass, like a pane of glass, a large pane of glass. If that's broken in any part of that pane of glass, that pane of glass is broken. Doesn't matter if it's just one little break. It doesn't matter if it's like a complete, like, what is it, spider web kind of thing. It is broken. So to Paul, he's going to create this case that if you've broken one part of the law, you're guilty of all of it. But for the Jews of that day, they didn't see it that way. So Paul is highlighting the fact that God is kind, He's being patient. He is desiring that there would be a pathway forward for every human being on the planet for their betterment, for their growth. And again and again, he gives people time to turn, to repent and trust him and to find their lives coming back into shape. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about men, when we give in to sin, it's like we become less human. But when we pursue God, and pursue the call that he has on all of our life, we become more human, more image-bearing. And so Paul is setting Jews on the same plane as Gentiles. Jews were privileged because they possessed the law, but their privilege had done them no good, and they have failed to keep the law, and now they are part of the same problem of sin in the world. And so Paul keeps going, He rails on them for a little bit, and in verse 21, he says, Well then, if you teachers, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you? You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you? You condemn idolatry, but you use items stolen from or but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? Must have been the case if Paul wouldn't ask the question. Don't know what that's about, but we'll keep reading. You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Wow! Paul! Man, he's so bold in his letters, man. He makes makes a comment about his letters. He says, you know, when I'm with you in person, my demeanor is a little different, but when I'm writing letters, man, it's like, man, he can really go for it. It's interesting, we might glean a little bit of this here today on that. Paul's rebuke of the religious people. Hmm. But out of this, Paul draws their attention back further from before when the law was given back to this person called Abraham. Now, we're going to talk about Abraham in chapter 4 next week. It's going to be fire. But... No, the word is, not me, the word, the word's pretty good. The word does a great job, really good job. But um, 
he draws their attention back because they were, they were putting so much reliance on the law, on their privilege of being a Jew with the law of God. But Paul draws their attention back further to this person of Abraham, way before Moses. And it's through Abraham that God came and said, I want to establish a covenant with you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. I choose you, Abraham, to father a nation. And through that nation, the nations of the earth will be blessed. That was their calling by God, to be a light in darkness, to be a light set on a hill for the darkness of the nations to come and glean from God's wisdom. But they had failed in that duty. And so he, he draws them back. He says, you know what? Your covenant is not with the law. The covenant, Jews, remember? Started with Abraham, way back. God made, this Abra- God made this covenant with Abraham that all the nations will be blessed through him. And there was this sign that the, at least the Jewish males performed, or at least for the little boys. But if you were born as Jewish, you'd be circumcised. Now, uh, yeah, you know all that is. I assume you know what being circumcised is, right? Uh, foreskin on the penis, okay? Just to be technical, all right? Gets taken out. It's useless, okay? Gets move on, all right? Because I just don't want you searching on the internet for what? You know. Anyway, so uh, circumcision was this big pride in Jewish culture, at least for the men. And this was their sign that they were a part of Abraham's covenant, this was huge. This was a sign, an outward sign that they were a part of Abraham's covenant. But Paul says he's proclaiming this, this new covenant. Throughout this whole letter, God has established a new covenant through Jesus, and Paul, throughout this whole letter, is trying to get them to see that God, through Jesus, has established a brand new covenant. And he's not looking for a circumcision of the flesh. He's actually looking for a circumcision of the heart. Because throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, God prophesied through uh, the writers of the Old Testament, plus also the prophets, that God wants you to remove the foreskin from your heart, that callous from your heart. And that one day, through this prophet Ezekiel, God says, you know what, I'm going to come in and one day I'm going to take that stubborn, stony heart out of man and I'm going to put in a brand new heart inside of them. And so Paul is drawing their attention that this Jesus, this long-awaited Messiah, has actually done that very thing. That Jesus is the fulfillment of Abraham's covenant with God. That God had pulled through. That God was seen right. And that's what God's righteousness means. Now we're going to get into this because it's all all throughout this book, really. This idea about righteousness. We talk about God's righteousness. And now we add a moral, we add a moral value to this word righteousness. Are you righteous or are you not? It's usually for Americans or English speakers, we see it as you're morally good or you're morally bad. But in the Jewish day, they didn't they didn't see that word with a moral connection. It was a law court term that if a judge was to declare you not guilty, he would say you are righteous. 
Now God is declared righteous because He fulfilled His covenant promise through Jesus. God's righteousness is on display through Jesus. So Paul says the circumcision, so it says in verse 28, For you are not a true Jew just because you are born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. A true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not people. A changed heart. Paul, so Paul in his letter to Rome has now fully established that everyone, regardless of pedigree, heritage, background, gender, all are under the power of sin. In Romans 3, he makes this case, and then we're going to get into some fun analogies here. This is verse 9. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all, for we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. And then he quotes the Old Testament. He says, as the Scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not even a single one. It's like, wow, not a single? When it comes to God's moral law, when it comes to God's standard, all of us, I think if we were to kind of like be comfortable with ourselves a little bit and not be so insecure, we would all kind of, you know, admit, yeah, we're a little jacked up. We fall way short of God's standard. So Paul, so far, has been weaving this case. Now imagine, when I said righteous, it's a law court term. Paul is creating this case now, of prosecution against the defendants, his audience. Paul so far has been weaving this layer upon layer of righteous judgment according to the Jewish law that God gave to Moses. This case not only involves non-Jewish Gentiles and their sin, but, but as Paul laid out, the Jews are just as unrighteous. Now, in Paul's world, everyone would have been much more familiar with a law court proceedings as we are today. Because in their day, when there was a trial, it was held in the town square. (laughs) Everyone came out. Because their communities were much smaller. They were more tribal. They were very smaller communities, and so everybody kind of knew everybody. And so if somebody's on trial, it's like, hey, I want to go hear the case. I know that guy. And so the whole town would come. And so this scene that Paul is creating through his arguments in 2 and 3, that it's this law court proceeding. And he is creating the case for the prosecution through the law. So in in this scenario, in in their kind of scenario, I don't know if they had lawyers back in the day. I have to do a little research. They did. But in this scenario, it's judge, prosecution, and defendant. Three people. Okay? So, not only are Jews as well as Gentiles, they're guilty of sin worse. He said in verse 9 that all are not only sinful, but under the power of sin. 
Now that's interesting. That's not just wrongdoing. That's actually like he's alluding to this fact that there's a personal, demonic force that pushes people down that road. It's not just our own, you know, choices that we want to make because we want to be king of our own life, but as we go down that road, it's as if a force is pushing you that way to steal, kill, and destroy the image-bearing capacity that God made you with. And so finally, in Romans 3.20, Paul kind of wraps up this case. And he says, For no one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what his law commands. For the more we know about God's law, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying it. Okay, so we're all on the same case closed, right? Case closed for the prosecution. It's done. It's already been sealed. There's nothing you can do about it. You, you're, that pane of glass is broken. No matter how broken it is, it's busted. But then Paul turns in verse 21. He says, but now God has shown us a different way of being made right with him. Not by obeying the law, but by the way promised in the scriptures long ago. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins, and we can all be saved in this same way, no matter who we are or what we've done. Man, isn't that good news? Man, across the, if humanity has been declared guilty, when you finally feel that weight, that I hope, whether today or as you read this week, that that weight would fall on you, because that's a good weight. Because it leads to this transformation within your heart that it's Jesus that comes in. I'm, I don't want to get too ahead of me. <laughs> Jesus steps in the room. They're going to get that far, and then we're going to keep going. Jesus just walked in the room. Verse 23 it says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous, not guilty. He did this through Christ Jesus, who redeemed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood, this atonement, this, this lamb that throughout centuries the Jews have been following, that once a year the sacrificial lamb would be brought before the nation of Israel. And through the high priest, it was as if the, all the sin of all the Jewish people would be imputed into that lamb, and then they would sacrifice that lamb as like, man, this blood sacrifice covers all of your sin. But Paul says that it's actually Jesus, through his shedding of the blood, he was the ultimate sacrificial lamb that not only would cover your sin, but come in and transform your heart. Wow. And it says, it's to be received by faith. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just he pulled through god sticks to his promises and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in jesus so again imagine this court scene 
The prosecution has just made its airtight case against humanity. Paul's audience here today. Paul creates this airtight case, but then he says, but God did something different. Jesus, Jesus, as if Jesus busts in the courtroom and comes and not only stands beside you, but gets in front of you before the judge. And that if we, by faith, just say, Jesus, I see what you did for me to pay for the sin of my life. Jesus steps in front of you and says to the judge, you take my innocence for their guilt. And God sees that, and he declares you righteous. Wow. It's this gift. It's this absolutely free gift. It's one of the amazing things about God. It's so different than almost every other religion on the whole planet that says you've got to do X, Y, and Z throughout your life, pilgrimage, just wherever you need to go, whatever you need to do, in order to maybe one day, kind of, I don't know, be made right. But God designed this thing that the judgment that on the last day is going to happen to all of us when we hold an account to our life, it's as if he brings that vindication back into the present, into your current life, to say you can experience this eternal, infinite life right now in Jesus, and you'll know. When we follow Jesus by faith, it's just as if I'd never sinned. And that's how you work that's how you can remember justified, just as if I never sinned. You're justified before God through Christ. Nothing of your own life, nothing of your own pride or things that you've done in your life that could be propped up by the world to say, oh man, great job. Doesn't matter a lick to God. It has everything to do with our heart being right before Him. And you are declared right before God in the, in, to the community of heaven. And Paul says that you are justified by faith when, everyone, when anyone believes the gospel. God declared that he or she is one who will be vindicated, like I said, on the last day. God in his gracious kindness declares those who follow him not guilty. You are made right with God by faith. We are put right with God through Christ's faithful giving of himself to death for us and by our grateful acceptance of that gift by faith. So not only are you declared right, but there's more. Paul says that he's redeemed you. I think it's in verse 25. It says you are redeemed, or 24, redeemed. That word redeemed has a connotation to being bought from slavery. So when you are redeemed, it's as if you were a slave under a master, and that person, another person comes and buys that slave and, and frees them. That, that is what redeemed means, that you were slave to sin. Paul says through Christ... Christ redeems you. 
He buys that, he purchases that life and sets you free. Out from under the power of sin, remember I said it's that personal force, brings you out from under that and into his glorious kingdom. So not only are you made right, not only are you redeemed, but there's more. Man, this is a good gift, man. If you just sit and just think, I mean, just you'd fall to your knees and weep if you really saw this gift. That image that he made in you, that you were born with, for, that was marred by sin and its power, Paul's saying, when you come under Christ, that image is restored. So not only are you made right, not only are you redeemed, but you are restored to that proper image-bearing capacity as you were always intended to live with. You have been set free from that power of sin and darkness and made alive in God so you can do the great things He planned for you long ago. You're His masterpiece. And God's got great things planned for you. Salvation is just the doorway to the kingdom of God. It's not the kitchen. It's not the final destination. As we know, that's where the final destination is in most homes, right? The kitchen. Everybody's got to eat, especially when you've got three teenage boys. So praise the Lord. But God has displayed His covenant justice in this world through Jesus to turn an upside-down world back to be right side up through his image bearers that have come under, come out from under the power of sin and come under this Jesus who in the court case of all of heaven stands not only in front of you but as you follow him in you to say my innocence for their guilt. So when God looks down upon you, he sees the innocent blood of Jesus and not the guilt of your sin. When God says, man, I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to deal with your sin so significantly that I'm going to separate it from as far as east is from west. Or another way that I believe it was, I can't remember who said this. It's in the Old Testament. Pretty solid reference there, Dave. Thanks. Uh, but that he's not only going to forgive it, but he forgets it. Now you imagine the weight. This forgiveness is total. This forgiveness is complete. God is not going to... You ever been in a relationship where... <laughs> you ever been in a relationship where somebody's forgiven you of something? And then the next fight comes, <laughs> and they choose to bring that back out of the file cabinet, the forgiven file cabinet, and add that to their current case? You ever felt, you ever felt like, no, wait, the, you forgave me for that. You, you've already, I thought that was done, but it's like, oh, no, I'm bringing that back out and the 30 other things that you did, this, I'm creating this prosecution case for God. When God says, not only have I have forgiven you, he will never bring it back up or lay it over your life ever again. Wow. Now, we do that to ourselves all the time. We don't forgive ourselves for maybe the things that we've done in the past, the knuckleheaded things, the jerk moves, the words we've, the words we've said. But in Christ, can you imagine 
that God completely separates that sin out from you and he sees the blood of Jesus and he's like, man, that image is now restored. I've bought you out of slavery, I've redeemed you, but that image is now restored so that you can be the agents of change, the sons and daughters of God in this generation to shine brightly out into the world as we carry the message of the gospel, this good news that people are forgiven, that people through Christ, can receive this brand new life in God. Wow. What an amazing picture, this court scene that right before that judge slams the hammer, that Jesus steps in and says, I got him. Take my innocence for their guilt. Amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.